so everybody can join with the Namotasa. Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namotasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambodhasa. So today we have started our meditation retreat with the practice of metta meditation, the cultivation of loving kindness. And so in this talk, I will highlight some aspects of metta and the metta meditation practice. And I want to begin with a quote of a Tibetan Buddhist master, Dilgo Kienze Rinpoche, a teacher who had passed away some years ago. And so he had said, Each morning, our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the well-being and happiness of all sentient beings. In other words, this is metta. Metta as the wish for the well-being and happiness of all living beings. And as we have come to see through actually engaging in the metta meditation practice, this benevolent wish for the well-being, for the happiness of all living beings can be expressed in various ways. Can be, may all beings be well, happy and peaceful. Or it could be the wish May all beings be free from danger and harm. Or a wish like, May all beings be safe and protected. Or, May all beings live at ease and in peace. Or it could be, May all beings be free from all kinds of suffering. So all these different meta-wishes boil down to kindness, to a benevolent attitude towards all living beings. So first of all, I want to say a few words about how we speak about metta. Because the words we use, they can be either misleading or they can direct us in the right direction. So when we talk about metta meditation, good words are to cultivate loving kindness or to develop metta loving kindness or also to radiate metta to radiate loving-kindness is a good way to talk about it. I have heard Dhamma teachers using the word to send metta, to send metta to somebody else. And actually also in the Burmese language um, they say metta bode. So to send metta to somebody. But when we speak of to send metta to somebody, this can be misleading and even undermine our practice. So let's say the instruction is send metta to your friend or send metta to your teacher. And, you know, We know the word to send something to somebody like 
in those times when we were still writing letters, bringing them to the post office and sending a letter to somebody else, then the other person would find a letter in their letterbox, get the letter, receive the letter. Nowadays, people send messages um, or send emails. Again here, you know, we write something, use this electronic device, push a button and send it off and then the other person gets, receives the email or the message. So then if we speak or if we say to send meta to your friend, then people might have the impression that through their practice of metta meditation they have to send the metta to this other person. And, you know, if they are doing the practice, the metta practice right, if the metta is strong enough, then if they are successful, the other person gets the metta, like getting a hit of metta, thinking if this happens, then they are successful in the practice. However, it's not like this at all. But with this, you know, our metta practice, when our metta is, uh, has become strong and powerful, it actually will affect other people. It will have an effect on other living beings. But this happens on account of the power of metta and not because we are sending it to the other person. As I have explained this morning in the metta meditation, metta meditation instructions, we take another person, another living being, as the object for our metta meditation. This is a helpful tool in order to generate, to cultivate this quality of metta in ourselves, to develop it in our heart and mind. So there is no need to send anything out. The Pali word for metta meditation is metta bhavana. And this word bhavana means cultivation or development to bring forth uh, something. So the practice of metta meditation is all about developing or cultivating the quality of loving-kindness and benevolence in ourselves. The practice of metta bhavana is all about to make this quality of metta strong and powerful <coughs> in our heart, in our mind. But as I said, as a natural unfolding of this practice, as a natural result of the metta practice, or as a natural side product of the metta practice, other people, other living beings, do actually benefit from our metta. There is no doubt that strong and powerful uh, metta does have effects on other people, on other living beings. As I said already, 
when we speak about metta meditation, cultivation, development, or to radiate metta is also a good way of speaking about it. It's like a jasmine flower that radiates its scent into the air. If there is just one jasmine flower, then the scent that it radiates is quite faint. But if we have a whole bunch of jasmine flowers, then the scent radiates quite strongly. The jasmine flower has no intention to send out its scent. It's just natural that the jasmine flower radiates its scent. So it happens by itself. It's just a natural occurrence. And likewise with the metta. Once the metta becomes strong and powerful in our being, in our heart and mind, then it naturally radiates out. It naturally pervades the air, the atmosphere around uh, us. I feel very fortunate that I have met several persons whose metta, whose kindness and loving care was very strong, very powerful. It seemed as if it were palpable. And I want to relate one incident where I myself experienced the positive effect of another person's very powerful metta. It's an encounter that I had with Daminya Sayado, a Burmese monk, who was also known as Metta Sayado, because apparently his Metta was very powerful, was very strong. He lived in a monastery southeast of Yangon in Burma, and one time I had the opportunity to go on a pilgrimage to visit Daminya Sayado. I had been practicing meditation in Yangon at the Chamya Yeta Meditation Center beside Ujanaka. I had been practicing for about four months, I think, and then I, I stopped practicing. And at that time, another Swiss meditator was there, uh, a friend of mine. And there was also a Malaysian monk practicing, and he had some support. He had some Burmese supporters, and it was actually these Burmese supporters who organized this pilgrimage to see Daminya Sayadaw, and they asked whether my friend and myself wanted to follow, and my friend and I said yes please, we would like to follow. So we had to leave very early, about 3 o'clock or 4 o'clock in the morning, uh, with a car. At that time, the roads were very bad. And um, so around 10 o'clock, we came to a river, which we had to cross on a ferry. There was no bridge at that time. So we crossed the river, and then it was time for lunch. At that time I was a nun, and also the Malaysian monk, being a monk, so we had to eat before 12 noon. On the other side of the river there were a few restaurants, guest houses, and this Burmese family, they knew the owners of one restaurant and guest house, so we had lunch there. 
big feast and because it was also a guest house they offered us some rooms to take some rest to lie down so my friend and myself we had a room lying down for me just very briefly very soon um, I had to get up and run to the toilet so something in the food did not agree with me so I got the runs lying down a little bit running to the toilet again lying down a bit running to the toilet again so while the others had rest I had many trips to the toilet and then they said now we have to go on drive to Taminya Sayada's place and I thought how will I make it in this car I can't remember how that was but anyway we got to that place and as soon as I got out of the car my first question was where is the toilet <laughs> so again and so by that time it was about five o'clock in the afternoon and the Sayadaw is so famous that every day hundreds, if not thousands, of people come to, to see the Sayadaw. And they have big dormitories where one spends the night, or at least half of the night, because then at two o'clock the bell goes off, everybody gets up, and at three o'clock one can see the Sayadaw. On the, it's like a little hill in a vast plain and so the buildings are um, on the face of that hill and Sayadaw's place is on the top of it and there's a huge area so where all the pilgrims 3am uh, gather to get Sayadaw's blessings however for a few people for VIPs one can see the Sayadaw at 7 o'clock in the night. And our Burmese family, they organized that the Malaysian monk, myself, my friend, and the Burmese family as well, could uh, see the Sayadaw in the evening at 7 o'clock as VIPs. So, once we had arrived and uh, got our space in the dormitory, I had many more trips to the toilet and then at 7 o'clock we went to the top of the hill and went into Sayadaw's building. I was very uneasy and I thought, how long will I be able <laughs> to, to hold it? And so we were led inside, a hall maybe as big as this hall, some other people in there, we had to sit down and wait. Five past seven, the Sayadaw did not come yet. And, you know, my belly, it was like... <laughs> and I thought, <gasps> ten past seven, Sayadaw not coming yet. I was, oh, ten, uh, quarter past seven, Sayadaw was not coming yet. And by that time, I noticed that the whole activity in my belly started to calm down a bit which I thought it was quite surprising. Of course, I was grateful for that, but still, you know, I was like sitting on charcoals. When do I need to get up? And then finally, the Sayadaw came into the room, sat down on his big chair, something like this, and my friend and myself, we were sitting quite close to him, and then he started to give a Dhamma talk in Burmese. At that time, I could not speak Burmese yet, so I didn't uh, understand what he was saying. But what I noticed was very surprising. It was so amazing to feel the body becoming calm and peaceful. So... <coughs> The body, the whole activity in my belly, it just started to become quiet. No more rumbling and 
just quiet. And also my mind. No more worries, no more anxiety. <coughs> just peaceful, just calm. So I sat there, hugely amazed, just witnessing what was happening to me. Um, it was quite unbelievable, but I knew it was true. It was like this. So he talked about half an hour, and after that, you know, people offered him robes and other requisites, and then the traditional dedication and sharing of merits. And then he handed out gifts. So we got the plastic bag with some books and uh, CDs and other gifts. And then we left. And as soon as I stepped outside of his building, the whole activity here uh, in my belly started again. And it was like, oh, where is the next toilet? <laughs> I had to run. So that was the first such encounter of a metta person whose metta I felt so strongly, you know, had a huge impact on my whole being, not only on my mind, but also on my body. So that was quite amazing to experience myself. A metta, a very powerful, a very beneficial state of mind or state of heart and mind. In Pali, it's called metta citta, metta, metta, loving kindness, citta means mind or is usually translated as mind. So metta or loving kindness is considered to be a mental state and mental states in Pali are called Chetasika. And those of you who have some knowledge about Chitta, Chetasikas and so on, you know that there are altogether 52 Chetasikas <coughs> or mental states. Mental states are things like loba, dosa, moha, greed, hatred, delusion, mana, conceit, uttaja, restlessness, and so on. And so if you go through this list of the 52 chetasikas, mental states, you do not find one that is called metta, but you find one that is called adosa. Dosa is anger, aversion, ill will. This um, syllable a, a, a dosa means not dosa or the negation of dosa or um, that is devoid of dosa, devoid of anger, aversion, ill will, frustration or non anger. So it is said that metta is the opposite of dosa. But metta is not only the absence of anger, aversion, ill will, but it's actually this positive mental state of loving kindness, of friendliness, of unconditional love. Then a short comment on the Pali word citta. As I said, usually it's translated as mind. And using the word, the English word mind, then people often understand it as the more intellectual part of the mind or the analytical mind. You know, thought, uh, things like thoughts, um, reflections, 
reasoning, analyzing, and so on. But included in the citta, in the mind, are also what we refer to as emotions or emotional states. You know, such things as loving-kindness or compassion or confidence or uh, happiness or joy or grief or sadness. And so to be aware that citta also includes these emotional states. Um, I usually use the English translation of the heart and mind, so that both aspects of the mind are included, the more intellectual aspect, but also the emotional aspect of the mind. So heart and mind stands for citta, And this is just one entity. It's not two different things. And, you know, when I use the combination of heart and mind, so it's not referring to the physical heart. It's more the heart qualities, the emotional states. So this morning we started with the metta-meditation practice, with the cultivation of loving-kindness. And usually at the beginning of the metta-meditation practice, meditators say that they do not feel feel anything when they are reciting these metta-phrases, metta-wishes. Instead of a metta feeling or the quality of metta, they notice maybe frustration or restlessness coming up or the wandering mind or anger and so on. And if this happens, if the mind is restless, if frustration, anger, wandering mind comes up, this is common. This is quite natural. It's not that the meditators do something wrong. This simply happens because uh, at the beginning of a retreat the hindrances are still quite strong. In Pali they are called the Nivaranas. And these hindrances they are like thieves that break into a house and then leave a big mess. Just to mention these hindrances, there are five. Sense desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. So these hindrances, they will arise. It's natural. But as I said this morning, whatever arises in the mind, the thoughts, the hindrances, mental images, or other things that arise, we try to ignore these uh, things. We try not to pay attention to them but bring the mind back to the cultivation of loving-kindness. And so that's why we are here. That's what our job is, to do the work of cultivating loving-kindness, to make this quality of the heart and mind stronger, to strengthen it through repeated practice. So in the beginning, one needs a bit of patience and perseverance because, you know, if the hoped-for results do not 
appear or manifest, then one might easily get frustrated and think, well, you know, now I have already cultivated metta for two hours, but it's not working. <laughs> or why bother doing this practice? Why just causing myself more misery? But, you know, there's just one way to go. Simply to continue the practice. Simply to continue cultivating this metta-wish. And actually, metta, or loving-kindness, is something you are all familiar with. You know, it's not something that needs to be developed from scratch. Time and again you have been kind, you have been loving, you have been uh, friendly. For example, uh, when a stranger has asked, had asked you where the post office was, you gave him uh, the indication where to go. Or you have been kind to carry the heavy shopping bags of the elderly lady living on the second floor. Or you have spoken soft and comforting words to a friend uh, who was suffering. So this quality of metta is already present in your heart and mind. The only thing, the only problem is that we do not always have access to this quality. You know, when the opposing forces are stronger, you know, things like craving and aversion and longing and restlessness and impatience and so on, then metta is hidden or it is submerged. It's not completely lost, but it simply has no room to, to manifest or to uh, manifest its power. And it is for this reason that we need to strengthen it, that we need to make it much stronger, to make it much more pervasive. So for the first week of this four-week uh, meditation retreat, we will be cultivating metta. So it's like we are in the metta gym to strengthen the meta-muscles. <coughs> and we should cultivate this quality of meta until it becomes a boundless state, until there are no more boundaries, no more discrimination, no more limitations, until Every person, every living being is included in our benevolent attitude. And this in every situation under all conditions. Of course, this is a high bar, but it is possible. And so, you know, when the quality of metta really becomes strong, pervasive, powerful, then it becomes a boundless state, or as it is also called, it becomes a divine abiding. Metta is one of the four divine abidings, or one of the four boundless states. Besides metta, we have compassion, in Pali, karuna. Then we have sympathetic joy, mudita, and equanimity, upeka. And one of the chants that we will do uh, is called the Four Boundless States. So it's a chant including these four divine abidings.
the practice of metta meditation can be compared to watering a seed. Pema Chodron is a nun in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition and she has said when we repeat the metta phrases it is as if we pour water on the seeds of metta so that they can start to grow. We all need we all know seeds need water to grow and some warmth and some light. And those of you are of you who are gardeners, you know very well. Um, you need to water the seeds. I'm not really a gardener, but um, in spring I plant sunflower seeds to have some sunflowers in the garden. And with the sunflower seeds, it's, um, it seems to be very easy. Um, I put them into the earth in spring, water them regularly, and after about 10 days or two weeks, the seeds, they start to sprout. So the little green uh, sprouts, uh, shoots uh, come out and then they grow. So it's um, very satisfying with the sunflower seeds. And then beautiful in the summertime to have the sunflowers in the garden. A few years ago, a friend of mine had been to Bodh Gaya in India, the place where the Buddha had become uh, enlightened. And, you know, there is the Bodhi tree, and um, he collected some seeds that had fallen uh, on the ground. And he gave me uh, the seeds. And so I planted them. And I was very surprised, you know, a body tree can grow very huge, very big. But the seeds are tiny, tiny, little. Anyway, I put them into the earth, in little pots, put them out in the sun, in the warmth, water them regularly, one week, two weeks, three weeks. Nothing happening yet? No, not yet. Continue to water four weeks, five weeks, two, mi- two months. Nothing's happening. I thought, oh well, maybe they don't like the Swiss climate. <laughs> but I persevered. I continued to uh, water them regularly, two and a half months, three months, nothing. Okay, continue. And then, after about three and a half months, wow, they started to sprout. I was so happy. And of course, I was very happy and grateful that they continued to water the seeds. If I had stopped after two months, I wouldn't have gotten the body trees. And um, in the meantime, I still have about five of these plants. I had given away many of them, and they had grown so fast and grown so big, I had to cut them, otherwise uh, they would not have fit into the, into the room. So in the same way, you know, we, we water the seed of metta. Like each repetition of the metta wish is like dropping a drop of water on it. So at the beginning, if we think we are just repeating these words, this metta wish, but you know, we think, I don't feel anything, or doesn't really feel like metta. But just doing this much, repeating it wholeheartedly, that's good enough. That's the first step. And by doing so, if we just patiently continue 
repeating the metta wish, you know, wholeheartedly. With this, we show a willingness that we want to develop loving kindness. So we, it's like showing the goodwill that we want to to do this, that we want uh, to strengthen the loving kindness. And so, as we keep doing it, you know, when the con- when there is enough water for the seed and enough warmth and the conditions are right, then the seed will sprout and grow into a plant. Then this quality of metta will become distinct. It will become obvious and then we know, ah oh yes, it's there. And so in this way, it will have a transforming uh, effect on our heart and mind. So this is why you will be told many more times, just continue with the practice. (laughs) And you know, let go of any expectations. Expectations of how it should feel or what this meta quality should be, but just trust that doing the practice it will grow and sprout. And you know, if you have planted an apple seed and you know, you take care of it, you water it, and so on. There is no need to worry that you will get a mango tree. An apple seed will produce an apple tree. Now I want to quote the Buddha, a quote in connection with metta, kindness. He said, If one shows kindness with a clear mind, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So, you know, as I've said, metta, that's loving-kindness, friendliness, benevolence, or unconditional love. So metta used as a noun. And as I said, with the metta meditation practice, we cultivate this quality of the heart and mind to make it stronger, to make it more powerful. But even when the metta has become really powerful and strong, then the work is not yet done. You know, it's not something that we can tick off the list. Okay, done, next thing. Because metta is something we must constantly engage in. We need to manifest our kindness with all our being. We need to manifest the kindness in all our actions, in everything we do. So the Buddha used the word metta also as a verb, metta-yati. So this uh, this emphasizes the fact that metta is something we need to do or we need to enact, we need to embody. Like the Buddha had said, if one shows kindness with a clear mind for living creatures, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. So here the Buddha says, says to show kindness, or we can say to enact kindness or to manifest kindness, or simply to be kind. 
to be friendly. And as we know, when we cultivate metta, we direct our metta to somebody, to a person, a living being. Although the object of our metta meditation is another person, another living being, it is something that we cultivate in ourselves. We simply take this other person or all living beings as the object of our metta meditation so that we can cultivate and strengthen this quality in ourselves. As you know, for the metta meditation practice, we take a metta wish, a phrase, take some words, and they act as a helpful basis and support for the arising of the quality of uh, loving kindness. So the words or the phrases alone are not enough. The Buddha had said that nothing changes as fast as the mind. The mind is constantly shifting attention from one object to another. It's constantly shifting between wholesome states of mind and unwholesome states of mind, or shifting between good mental states and bad mental states or beneficial mental states and detrimental or destructive mental states. And so even if we have just one moment of loving kindness in our heart and mind, then we have ennobled our mind with a beneficial, a beautiful state of mind. And with that, we have reduced the negativity by one moment. Because when metta is present, in that very moment, it's not possible that anger, ill will, frustration uh, is there. It's not possible that the mind is overcome with craving or envy or attachment. So even... Uh, if we think that you know just one moment of metta that does not really make a difference, it actually makes a difference, a greater difference than we think. Each moment of loving kindness is actually very powerful and can have far-reaching effects. I think we have all experienced times when we are caught in negativity, when everything seems to go against us. And in such moments, it seems so difficult to think a beneficial uh, thought. It seems to be so difficult to think a kind thought. In such when we are caught so much in negativity, we cannot think of one good reason why somebody should deserve our kindness. But even though it seems to be so difficult or almost impossible, we should try anyway. Caught in negativity, can we try to think just one kind thought a meta-thought, maybe for a person for whom um, it's quite easy to um, cultivate metta. In that moment, the kind thought, the metta, might, 
might not come from the deepest place in our heart. But however, already the intention to think a kind thought is turning the mind in a good direction, in a wholesome direction. It's taking the mind out of its negativity. And so, even if, the, if it is just for once, for one moment, it will have a transformative effect on the heart, the mind. So, thinking a kind thought helps to change the dynamic of our mind um, and even uh, body. So it really, it makes a difference. So trying to think a kind thought can be the, the start to get out of the negativity. So that's why the Buddha had said, I mention it again, if one shows kindness with a clear mind for all living creatures, even once, by that one abides in a wholesome state. I will end this talk with another quote from the Buddha, it's a bit simplified, in which he is extolling the importance of loving-kindness, not only for the sake of cultivating and strengthening the quality of loving-kindness, but also for the practice of liberation. So the Buddha said, and he was addressing a group of monks, that's why he said monks, but we can uh, say meditators, whatever grounds there are for making merit, all these do not equal a sixteenth part of loving-kindness. The liberation based on loving-kindness surpasses them and shines forth it blazes and is bright and brilliant. So let's sit quietly for a few moments. <laughs> 